When someone's doing a testimony, part of your mind might be thinking, oh, this has nothing to do with me because their issue was different than mine or some blah, blah, blah from the devil yakking in your ear. Don't fall for that. Holy Spirit is working through Sarah, and Sarah's going to say things that are specifically for you, so don't miss it, okay? So let's give Sarah another big welcome, because after all... Thank you, everybody. Um, as you have been told, my name is Sarah, as well as up on the screen. Um, I have been singing this song for half my life. And when I first learned it, it meant something completely different to me. But as my life progressed, this song just became more and more of its own, of my own testimony um, within lyrics that were written by someone I've never even met. And so this is Martyrs and Thieves. There's a place in the darkness that I used to cling to 
I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I choose recovery from uh, alcohol addiction, and my name is Sarah. I'm gonna pre I'm gonna start this by just saying there was a lot of Celine Dion listened to while I wrote this testimony. And a lot of tears were shed and a lot of boxes of Kleenex went through. But I think that this is the best, um, it is the best version of my story to get through my emotion of how my life was for the almost 10 years that I spent as an alcoholic. F. Scott Fitzgerald penned in The Great Gatsby that first you take a drink, then the drink takes a drink and then the drink takes you. And that statement couldn't be any more true of the almost decade that I spent in alcoholism. I can't tell you that one event was the main catalyst for my addiction. You could say I was predisposed. I didn't wake up one day and become a full-blown alcoholic. I slipped into it slowly. I used alcohol to deal with stress, pain, anger, sadness, joy, and triumph. It was a steady decline into an abyss that I was unable to get out of on my own. I could blame a number of different things, but the one thing that matters most is the choices I made. I lost a lot of my dignity and my self-worth in my pursuit of alcohol. Growing up, I lived in an unstable, what you could almost call nomadic life. I was the only child of a single parent home. I knew about my dad, but I had never met him. My mom suffered from multiple sclerosis and fibromyalgia and she was very sick for my whole life, in constant physical pain. At the young age of six, I was already learning how to make my own meals and to get to school by myself when she was unwell. My mom and I moved several times and I was bounced around to different schools often. I was always the new girl. I found it very hard to fit in. Because I was a lot taller than the other students, my classmates thought I was held back and always called me stupid. This forced me to learn on my own and to get ahead in class, which made me a natural academic. My mom taught me strong morals and good lessons that were well beyond my age, but they're ones that I've held on to my whole life. She was my best friend. When I was nine, we moved to a little town in the Ottawa Valley where we had more family and friends, and I began to make new and lasting friendships, most of which I still have today. Even with the support of friends, my mom's condition wasn't improving, and a lot of times when I knew that she wasn't well, I would fake sick to stay home from school to take care of her. When I was 12, my life turned upside down. I woke up one morning and I found my mom laying in bed. When I went to wake her, I noticed that she wasn't breathing. I got my neighbor and she had me wait in her apartment. Soon I heard an ambulance and then a few minutes later an EMT came to the living room and sat down and told me the hardest news I'd ever heard. My mom had died in the night. She was only 46 and I lost a piece of myself that day. And it took years for me to feel even an ounce of healing. My life was upside down and I went from being an only child with one parent to the older sister of two boys. This stressed me out in ways I couldn't understand because I had not learned of this environment. It was stressful to the point where I learned how to cover my emotions. I learned how to suck it up. At age 13, I was already contemplating suicide. I found school and friends to be an escape from this stress, and I became more social, which led me to join a youth group at the Pentecostal church in town. I loved this church. I'd heard the gospel of Jesus in a way that I never understood. My mom and I had gone to church when she was an active member of the United Church in Kingston when we were, li when we were living there. And I read the Bible, 
but I always started in Genesis. You start a book at the beginning. You can't start a book in the middle. So I always started in Genesis. And when you're 11 and hit Leviticus, it's a wild ride. So I never made it to the Gospels. But that youth group taught me so much. And at age 14, I gave my life to Jesus. Church and school became a place of escape. And in high school, the world was my oyster. I did well academically and socially and excelled in music performance. Concert band, jazz band, and choir kept me very busy. And I can still say that high school was the best time of my life. But my home life was a nightmare. There was a lot of drinking in the house and I lived with constant instability. I didn't receive the same love and support from them that I did from my mom. And I was made to feel like an orphan, unwanted and disposable. I had been told these things more than once. And when something like that is affirmed, it sticks. This was a very hard time for me. I felt so unwanted. I felt like a burden. At times, I was emotionally, physically, and verbally abused, and eventually sexually abused and assaulted. Twice in my time there, I attempted suicide. I tell you all this with the disclosure that I do not place blame on them for my condition. I have forgiven them, and I have let them free of my, at one time, very bitter heart. Life was stressing me out, and at age 16, I got to meet my dad. As much as I hoped this relationship would work out, it became cold and distant. We resorted to birthday cards and Christmas cards, and when, and when he would die of cancer when I was in my 20s, a letter was all I could send him as a final goodbye. School continued to be an escape, and it paid off, and I was accepted to my first choice university, University of Waterloo, Woo! with a scholarship for psychology. Yes, I was alive, I was free, it was a new start. Independence. Don't get me wrong, my heart will always lie in Cobden, Ontario, but this fresh, exciting world was in front of me, and I was in command. School was amazing, I made friends, and I did really well. Eventually, however, between grades and my mental health and lack of financial support, I had to drop out. I began working full-time, and alcohol became a more regular part of my life. This part of my life destroyed friendships that could have lasted a lifetime. When I started working, it was the stressful shifts, then any shift, then it was every shift that I spent at the bar afterwards. Alcohol made me feel better. It was the friend that I could go to to make me feel better and important in a world where I was very lonely. This lifestyle escalated to over, sorry, this lifestyle escalated over less than a year to the point where I blacked out every night for almost eight months. I would work from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., start drinking at 4, not remember getting home, then managed to show up for work at 6 a.m. By the grace of God, and I say this is by the grace of God, because he commands angels to be around us. I was never kidnapped, assaulted, or injured getting home. It is a miracle that I never got hit by a car. And I can tell you now that when I look back, I know that God was surrounding me with protection every single night. I blew through every cent I had in my name. I was living from paycheck to paycheck and had, begin, had begun stealing from friends to hold up my lifestyle. I'm not proud of any of this, but it's the truth. It's like living in an abusive relationship when you will do whatever the other person wants, even though they will hurt you in the end. And I say this because I entered a relationship that became mentally and physically abusive, which cost me so much and still physically affects me with a knee injury to this day. My friends started to recognize that I was struggling, and I was directed to a small church where the pastors encouraged me not to continue this behavior. I joined their church and found a family in the congregation, 
and the pastors became the parents I always needed, and they still are. I slowed down on drinking, but I didn't stop. Instead of clubs and parties, I opted for the social life at the bar and drinking on my own. It was a very lonely life. I cried in private and hid trauma and pain beneath empty, bo empty bottles and fake smiles. My time in addiction and the desperateness that came with it put me in places I never thought I would go. I several times offered myself to men for drinks or money that I'd used to buy drinks. I lost a lot of my dignity and my pride trying to fill a void that I didn't understand where I could find the missing piece. I suffered a miscarriage that left me traumatized and helpless. I didn't know that I was pregnant until the miscarriage was happening. I still can see that memory in sepia tones, not in vivid color. And it's a thing that your brain does when you've gone through something so traumatic to tone it down so that you can physically go through it in your mind without it being more traumatizing to you. And for a long time, that memory had awful music playing in the background. And I didn't tell anybody about it for five years. At one point, I was so deep into this hole I kept digging that every night I drank, I hoped I'd die. Because I wanted out and I knew no other way. I tried on my own so many times to get sober by stopping and just try to stop drinking. And I knew that I wasn't capable of doing it on my own. Those who cared about me had no idea. I hid my addiction from everyone other than my bar friends. And even then, I didn't tell them everything. I got to the point where I couldn't function without alcohol, and I was again drinking daily to excess. I continued to attend and serve at church while hiding my addiction and began stealing the money from the, friend, the family I lived with in order to keep up with my lifestyle. I stashed my empties in the closet and under the bed. I never wanted to tell anyone in my church that I was struggling, but eventually the time came where I was found out. My pastors and friends set up an intervention and the empties in my room had been found. I listened as they spoke their concerns and I heard their hearts wanting to help me. That day we cleared out my room of over 130 empty wine and liquor bottles. I tried to get sober, but became very bitter towards myself for my lack of progress. I attempted to go to a CR meeting and hated every moment of it. I didn't want to talk about my problems. I didn't want to hear that I needed fixing. But the truth is we all need to be fixed somewhere. Jesus didn't come to heal the healthy, he came to heal the sick. I continued to try but failed daily, continued to sneak wine into the house. I was caught multiple times. Finally, it was the last straw. I was packed up and sent to live in a shelter. This was where I hit rock bottom. This couldn't be my life. How did I get here? Where did that optimistic girl go who had the whole world in front of her? Where was that smile that could brighten a room? That girl was gone and in the mirror there was a stranger. I decided to take the step and I applied to Teen Challenge. My friends suggested it and now it was time. But now came the hard part, telling everyone what was going on. I pr was prepared for people to disown me, let me go, and never speak to me again. I had to tell my best friend that I was gonna miss her wedding. Her response was that she'd rather see me miss her wedding than miss out on being there for her kids. I got to meet her daughter this October for the first time and she is the cutest little niece anybody could ask for. When it was time though to tell my church family, I had a moment. Growing up, there was a song by Casting Crowns called Stained Glass Masquerade. One set of lyrics said, would it set me free if I dared to let you see the truth behind the person that you imagined me to be? 
Would your arms be open or would you walk away? Or would the love of Jesus be enough to make you stay? That morning in my little church, I stood in front of the congregation as the past, my pastor announced what was going, going on and that I was going to treatment. Every single member came to the front to pray for me. And that day I truly experienced the love of Christ through his people. I entered Teen Challenge in August 12th, August 12th, 2019, and I graduated the program through COVID. I learned that my true value is who I am in Christ and not what others say about me. I learned that I am not damaged goods. I am loved and cherished by him. I stayed on as a phase four, and in September of 2021, I began my phase five internship in facilities and maintenance. I got a cat, and she is a sobriety goal. Isn't she just the cutest? Um, sorry. <laughs> I will give every chance to talk about my cat. Um, she has been my best, my best friend through everything. In March of 2022, I was given the opportunity to go to Saskatchewan and work for another center. So for three months, I packed a suitcase, and in April, I made my way out west. I fit in well. I did good work. I got to bring Blair, as she was my little companion for the whole time. I learned many new skills and took on the growing responsibility of this position. However, I began to fall out of my recovery strategies. I wasn't going to church. I stopped calling friends. I isolated myself and began to succumb to the stress and remoteness of the Canadian prairies. I made myself look like I was doing fine in an attempt to fake it till I make it, which only works long enough till you're actually just being fake. I made decisions that negatively impacted my recovery. I fell into relapse after almost three years of sobriety with only a week left before I was going home. I was offered the refresher program at my home center in Ontario and agreed and came back June 30th. I was full of shame and regret. I almost lost everything for three drinks. But the refresher gave me a chance to, go, to come here to CR. I didn't get to go in my program year because of COVID. And CR has changed my life. I found a lot of healing here. I found support. This is a safe place for me to talk about things that are happening, to be prayed for, supported, to be taught and encouraged. CR has been an amazing part of my recovery. I firmly believe that it was what I was missing before. If I had the friendships and accountability I have now, I would have been confident to call somebody when something was happening. It took me a long time to realize how much denial I was in about my relapse. I didn't want to begin the counting process again. I blew away three years and I was not going to shame myself with a 30-day chip. One day I was cleaning my apartment and I found my one and two-year medallions and God gave me a wake-up. I can't pretend like the drinks weren't a relapse. They were. So last month, I picked up my seven-month chip, and next week I will pick up my eight. Thank you. I used to run away from my problems, but now I face them. I've learned that shame doesn't go away by running or hiding from it. You need to humble yourself and face it to find victory over it. I don't believe I will ever be able to say that I am recovered because recovery is a lifestyle. It's a moment by moment and day by day choice. And through it all, I'm never alone because I know that God is with me. First Peter 5, 10 to 11 says, and then after your brief suffering, the God of all loving grace who has called you into his eternal glory with Christ will personally and powerfully restore you and make you stronger than ever. Yes, he will set you firmly in place and build you up. 
My story might be messy, but it's still God's. He's not done with me yet, and I know he still has some more victories for me. Romans 8.37 declares perfectly that even in the midst of these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors, and his demonstrated love for us is our glorious excuse me, victory over everything. So where am I now? I'm healed. I'm forgiven. I have rebuilt trust with friends. The family I used to steal from allowed me to sleep over at their house when I was visiting in Kitchener with their kids in the house. I have my job back. I'm living in a stable situation. And I'm able to wake up to the incessant cries of this hungry cat every morning. And I am living my best full and productive life. My life in addiction was me trying to make a lie the truth. Alcohol told me what I wanted to hear, but it was all a lie. I was supposed to bring a Bible with me. God's word is your truth. I'm supposed to hold it up and shake it when I said that. The truth is that recovery is possible. You have people in your life that you want to that want you to be well. We all want to see each other living their best lives, and it will happen day by day and step by step. Thank you.